0: Well, hey, welcome to the show tonight. See, I actually pushed the right button for once. Welcome, everybody. It's Wednesday. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day to have a radio show. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm your host, and I will be with you for the next hour or so. And we have a great guest on tonight with a great topic. You know, I was a person who was a follower of uh, the book Chariots of the Gods. You know, the belief that aliens had come to Earth and showed the ancients how to do stuff. The gentleman we have on tonight has changed my mind. I heard him speaking on another show, and he's really made me rethink my beliefs in that, and that he believes that it wasn't the, the aliens that, that that did that technology. It was actually the people that did the technology. So it's going to be interesting to see what he has to say about that. Today is bittersweet. This is the last show in this studio for this, for this program, and um, I'm ready to move in over there, and I'll be moving this weekend. And it should be interesting to see how things look Monday, because like I said the other day, we're going to have a totally different backdrop, and uh, and I'll be in a sound booth instead of in my uh, photo video studio. So it's going to be you know a little different atmosphere in there. Um, anyway, welcome. You can find us at www.californiahaunts.org if you're interested in then in, uh, broadcast for the radio show. We also have a live radio website at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. you can get t- you can get our t-shirt there in fact and you can also go back through all of our archives since since we started broadcasting on video so everything's there you, you know you go in and see who the guests were click on it and get on in and if uh, probably by tomorrow you'll see this current show as well if you want to see it again anyway welcome and without further ado I'm going to bring our guest in Hello, Jared.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Good. How are um, you today?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, how is my uh, sound right now? Is that good for you?
0: Yes, it sounds great.
1: Okay, great. I just wanted to make sure.
0: <laughs> you never know when you get on the air. Back earlier when I was uh, going over my stuff and, rehears- and rehearsing, my camera just went off, and then I had a little round thing going on. My first thought was, gee, I ended up where, where Mario and, you know, Ends up when he falls off the screen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny sometimes, you know, and I love that, uh, you know, I've been doing this um, so much that it's so fun to do it where it's like, yeah, we're pros. It's like, we'll make it work and, uh, you know, maybe we'll have to reboot, but let's wing it.
0: Yeah, we'll just go for it. So tell me a little (laughs) bit about yourself, sir.
1: Yeah, so it's, um, boy, where to begin? Um, I had a long history of being interested in history. My grandfather was a tank commander. He landed in a tank at D-Day and was in a tank through Belgium and Holland and France for Battle of the Bulge and then all the way to Berlin in a tank. And And by the time I was in second grade, I had already wanted to be an archaeologist and do dinosaurs, and I didn't care anything about, uh, anything about megalithic ruins. I cared about mummies and Tutankhamun and... Indiana Jones, and I played the violin seriously till I was 21. I went paleo about 10 years ago. I rock climb. I spent the month of January prior to the pandemic last January in 2019. um, After six months, almost we were wrapping up the editing at the time. Uh, my former publisher, uh, Olaf Phillips with anomalies, press and Paranoia magazine. Uh, we had, uh, spent a long time on the book and I spent the month in South Africa studying ancient ruins, uh, in Waterfall Boven, which is where all the stone circles are, and uh, Michael Tellinger's Stone Circle Lodge. And I was there for a month and then came back to my book release and uh, got on coast to coast. And and that, that all part is the book part, but the research and who I am and the interest in that history, uh, I've always had this interest all along. And uh, telling good stories. And the plan all along in this particular case was to write a book that would be fictional. And my experience had uh, definitely put, uh, n- you know, nanotechnology and spintronics and quantum computing, all that was on my radar. And it was all something that I was very interested in and sounds, frequencies, you know, not just playing the violin, but having an interest in, in being paleo, be, being healthier that, There's a process to do all that and meeting, you know, I got the opportunity to train with Wim Hof actually in San Francisco when he was on Treasure Island a few years ago. For the very first time he was in America, me and just a hundred something people, we, I hung out with Wim Hof, the Superman, the Iceman and learned that technique. And that was on Treasure Island. That was like, it's been almost about three years now. And so reactivating, having conscious control of these systems that are within the body. I've just had a long History of questioning, growing up Irish Catholic. I mean, who doesn't question? You either become a very well grazing sheep, or you decide to ask questions, and questions are not appreciated.
0: Oh, oh I can understand that. I got that. Um, like I said in the intro, I, I used to be a, a, a big, you know, fan of, of, of Don. Oh, lost him. He'll be back. We lost him anyway. So, you guys, um, I'll go back on the shirts. He was having some issues. we will come back. Uh, we'll go back on and talk about my shirts. The shirts are coming in. Oh, here he is. He's back. <laughs> see, so you sorry. disappeared just like I did. It's all good. Boo.
1: <laughs> haunted radio.
0: Haunted radio. <laughs> They're busy today, I see.
1: <laughs> um that that's the i i'm so sorry i don't i've never had an internet inter- interruption so why not make your show the first i am so sorry that's
0: it that's okay that's okay i tell you it's got to be the internet or something a lot of, there's a lot of people online because yeah like i said rehearsal i went down you know i, I disappeared so yeah i guess it happens
1: yeah well so- around i'm in minneapolis i'm in, i'm in the twin cities i'm right in the city and there is on occasion a number of people on the internet that does that go. does cause a trouble but yeah i'm so sorry you're in the middle of a statement or a question or both
0: well yeah um like i said in the intro i i, I i've i've always followed donagan yes and his, and his stuff but when i heard you on coast to coast it really changed what i you know, my way of thinking
1: yeah it's i knew right away when i and it wasn't three and so it was five years ago that i started working on this but it was something that i've thought about for i it really hit me hard probably 10 years ago that it was more of the likely solution as to you know as you piece together here's what it is for me it was a sidewinding journey through you know i want to eat a way that makes me feel good every day i want to i want to be in a way where i'm more present you know, what does that all really look like? And as you pull it all together and you start looking at these different human abilities and superhuman abilities, but then you start looking at these giant ruins and it just hit me one day, there is, if, if the story of us is as it's been told, which is a total beyond the House of Cards wow. now and you look at the actual history, the truth is we are not as advanced as we once were. And when you start tabling all the facts from paleoanthropological human finds to the complexities of the constructions, and I have 20 years doing historical remodeling. Over the last 20 years, I've been doing, and it's, a, it's here's what's funny about that. I'm remodeling homes that are 120 to 150 years old, and we're talking about ruins that dynastically are said to be or five 6,000 years old, and we are, we know are tens and tens and thousands of years old. And... When you, when I myself as a builder look at these ruins and you see very complex, the lower you go, that's not how history works. You, the lower you go, you have more mm-hmm. complex construction. The higher you go, the more primitive it gets. And as a builder, mm-hmm. And the designer, particularly where someone's already done work for 120, 150 years, but now throw on 6,000 years or 4,000 years of people just changing the ebb and flow of their own society. I mean, look at where we've gone from no TV to TV to MTV to no videos on MTV. And now we have these constructions that have been adapted and repaired and rebuilt. And so we're not we we have these very blurred lines of even dynastic history, what, and what I mean by that is our Egyptians and Mayans and Olmecs right. and Toltecs, and and so now, you know, I just hit it. It just hit me where now, when you piece together all the facts, not the theories, but the facts, and Eric Von Danigan was a great dividing rod and pointer to
0: lost. It's going to be one of those nights. He'll, he'll come. He'll, he'll be back. Anyway, um, Eric Von Danigan wrote a book called *Chariots of the Gods*, which was based on. The thought and theory that aliens had had visited Earth and had visited the the ancient Egyptians and and other ancient societies and uh, helped them. And this is okay. (laughs) All good.
1: Well, I have nothing connected to my Internet uh, except what is now a murdered iPad, which is now off. So here we go.
0: (laughs) Here we go. It's okay. I'm, I'm good. I'm good if you are.
1: I'm totally fine. So you were, yet again, it seems like every time the universe, every time you ask a question, it just delete.
0: (laughs) Well, I was thinking about what you were just saying about how, I agree with you. I mean, look at the complex stuff that that was built back then. You know, you look at the pyramids, you even look at what the Greeks built. And people can't fathom how it was built.
1: Yeah, and Eric Von Danigan, um, I got to meet him a couple years ago and spent some time with him, and then uh, I picked up his books on the Greek uh, ruins, and even the Greeks said, you know, like the Temple of Delphi is my screensaver on my mm-hmm. phone. From, And the Greeks themselves said, one, it shows polygonal construction, the same construction that's in Peru. It's on Easter Island. It's in Angkor Wat. It's in Egypt. It's all over the world, this very complex earthquake muting uh, system, which that's not the only feature, but that's one of the major features is that you have giant zero to uh, one and three thousand ton stones built to protect um, catastrophic events and also piezoelectric properties. But uh, Eric Von Danigan, he just wrote two books just four, four or five years ago talking about uh, the Greeks going, just like the Aztecs going, we didn't build this, the gods built this, we built on top of what the gods built. And there's keystone cuts in Greece. A lot of people don't know that those um, metal connecting points that are in mm-hmm. polygonal construction, they have that in Greece on temples halfway up the temple walls. Which I was just at America's Stonehenge and I gave a lecture. And while I was there, I and and, and that lecture is now available on my YouTube Not Aliens channel. You can actually see the whole three hour lecture and it has. Uh, it's bizarre. Halfway up a Greek temple, you have keystone cuts, which shouldn't be vertical. They should be horizontal and wow. they shouldn't be half up, way up. So you know that that Greek temple is a collection of hodgepodge of pieces that they found. So you can appreciate, I think, every chapter of human history. You don't have to take away from that or your, your origin story where I grew up Irish Catholic and, you know, I can say I'm semi-recovering, but I'll always be you know, I was raised Catholic. i I, right. I know I was, what it's yeah. all about. And, yeah, it's just was my history. But then some people experience things and they see it, well, that's paranormal or that's spiritual <laughs> yeah. or that's you know, and 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 that that's their experience, and it's a valid experience. But I call it, I've been saying it for a while. I call it banging on the blinky box, where we have a very high tech. We're in safe mode, ten to fifteen percent conscious, where we used to be a hundred. and mm-hmm. we had a very, terraformed right down to engineered soil which we can get into but we have this entire planet that was engineered and terraformed right down to how we connected to it and when we bang on the blinky box you know you get an orange light on the left and a red light on the on the right and then somebody walks up a thousand years later and god forbid for a thousand years you've been praying to the blinky box and even if you're 50 or 40 or 60% right god forbid uh, somebody walks up and says why are you banging on the control panel of a 747 and somebody goes burn the hair attack mm-hmm. and and that's our experience with this technology is that we have genetic memory there is collective human consciousness i mean we could get in. i mean this is our first meeting and i'm so excited to be on your channel and with your listeners and i am willing to go down all the rabbit holes so for i don't want to over Dig if we have a lot of power.
0: Yeah, that's fine. I mean, we no longer funny. if you want. I don't care. <laughs> it's fine with me. This yeah. is fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, I just saw a couple. I don't know if it was a year ago or something. I did see a, a thing on uh, on the History Channel. You know, with the people that were that were um, refurbishing those things in Greece. And it's fascinating because you're right there are there are, there are metal links and everything you know when, when they take that stuff down yep. there are those metal links in there and I asked my brother my, my brother took it uh, was, was his, his major his minor was at, was archaeology in college and I discussed it yeah. with my brother and that, yeah he was talking about that too so that's fascinating to me
1: Yeah and and no one has done any so all the different disciplines that are not included in archaeology, which the short history for everyone is: once upon a time, everybody wanted a really cool statue on their Victorian mantle or their oh. garden, and so go dig up cool Greek, Roman things to put in my very fancy English mansion or German or fill in the blank Italian. And so th- there wasn't a goal in archaeology to us to recover the history. It was. Art, it was really antiquities theft is what it yes. really is. It, it's really just and collect things from museums and take things out of countries with impunity to throw in fill in the blank world museums that those countries didn't say you sh- you could take those items. You just did right. it and then, you know, charge money and get people to look at it and what what have you. So it wasn't a goal to establish what the society was. So you have anthropologists and it blew my mind the first uh I was going to, when I was in college, I remember my first art history class. I'm like, well, isn't it history? And then I'm like, well, wait, it's art history. But, well, I get it. It's artistic. But it, I don't think they thought it was history. I think they thought it was practical. And then I got confused. And then it was very telling about the paradigm, the way they look at history, where you don't need a forensic geologist like Scott Walter. You don't need a geologist. You don't need... Mm-hmm. um uh, you don't need interdisciplinary sciences. And now we have an explosion of it, like nanonuclear DNA testing. Uh, nuclear, uh, basically, instead of a tooth or a bone, you can literally, from the dust in the sand... Uh, which sadly, when archaeology was in the heyday, even a couple, you know, 150, 200 years ago, you know, they were going to these old Greek temples and they're like, what's this giant bone that may have been the bone they were worshipping as the bone of a titan, but it was a T-Rex or something and they throw it mm-hmm. out the window because they're looking for jewelry, they're looking for gold, they're looking for Tutankhamun, right. you know, they're looking for treasures. And so the there wasn't a need. Everything was a fertility goddess. Everything it was for worship. I mean... I mean, I guess in between hunting, they had a lot of time to worship.
0: Yeah, that was absolutely absolutely. Now, game back. Let's talk about construction a little bit here because a lot of people um, are confused about the pyramids, about how how they were built. Yeah. I mean, there's all those theories out there, you know, where they they had the slaves moving them on, you know, moving them on, on on those big roller things and and all this. What what do you think?
1: Well the first thing i like to point out that i know Brian Forrester and a number of other alternative researchers have chosen to point out is you have a british uh, air force pilot uh, point taking a black and white photo of the pyramids at a particular period of time when the sun is at a particular height where you immediately start to see that Menkari and the great pyramid two of the three and mind you i've read archaeological uh, early 1700s reports that said, Well, they saw seven pyramids in that area, mm-hmm. and of, of those, they show polygonal masonry. There's very weird, uh, interlocking, hugging, uh, 1000 maybe plus ton stones in the ground that make up the land, make up the platform around the Great Pyramid. But the Great Pyramid itself and Menkari are both eight-sided pyramids. They're not four-sided pyramids. So the hardest thing to get out, and I put that in my book, which right now my book's under a revision. The audiobooks available on nonaliens.com in the member area. But right now I, I have a new um, agent in London and there is a uh, revision going on in, with my book. So for those, I'm, I'm going to mention it because the photographs and the audio book are available on nonaliens.com behind the member wall. But right now, what we have is an eight-sided pyramid that has been noticed since World War II and earlier. And it's not just one, it's both. They have polygonal masonry. They show signs of being, like Christopher Dunn points out, more energy machines than burial chambers. And everyone gets stuck on talking about, hey, there's, uh... well, it appears that they seem like they're energy driven, like those shafts. Uh, and and the mm-hmm. problem with anthropology and geology, or not geology, but anthropology and general archaeology, is they say, "Oh, well, this is the pyramid of the sun, the pyramid of the moon." The pyram-. fill in the blank, and you you mystify it, you deify it. It's exactly what Wim Hof says to not do with your breathing and conscious control of your immune system is to he says effing demystify he says it all out right and we've forgotten these things and and then there's elements about the pyramids that are odd including the sphinx which are at least uh predating whether it's robert shock's work and john anthony west bringing robert shock out before he passed to identify 40 years ago hey these things have weather patterns on them that clearly show they could go back tens of thousands of years and then they settled on at least 36,000 years. And then it kind of, you know, a little bit, they got a little more fuddy-duddy on it. But then Michael Cremo from Forbidden Archaeology, who wrote Forbidden Archaeology, there is a brilliant woman uh, who got railroaded out of her career, you know, go figure. A woman got railroaded out of a a geology career, Virginia Steen McIntyre, who identified, I mean, this is a, a, a very scientific geologist who identifies in Waitlaco, Northern Mexico, anatomically correct human campsite. Uh, they're there to date it. These are not Denisovan or Neanderthal, but clearly there were people there, and they dated it to a minimum age of 275,000 years. And since then, because Michael's been talking about it for since 1992, after a decade of research when that book came out in 92, now there are other paleoanthropologists and geologists that have looked at it and said, Well, there was at least humans there 370 to maybe even a half a million years ago. And that's one site in northern Mexico. And then you have Gobekli Tepe. And back to the pyramids, we have eight sided pyramids that appear to be energy machines with shafts that, if you were to move tubes up and down them, would change the frequency of the harmonics of whatever those chambers are. And there is a number of things that are very odd about the pyramid area, which I had the opportunity to interview Mohammed Ibrahim a few months ago and he he's an egyptologist he leads tour groups he's in egypt everyone can go any of your fans if they want to go or any of your listeners want to go to egypt and do a tour i know my uh, co-author on my next couple books jennifer Deo, the archaeologist her and i are planning on taking a group back so i guess that's pending and i'll make announcements on that over the next few weeks cool. but muhammad yeah so that's actually i've not told that to anyone out loud but you're the first
0: thank you that's awesome
1: yeah and i think i mean jennifer has done field research in jordan sardinia um um in the yuca mountain range i mean here in the united states uh she's i mean she's kind of a badass and uh uh she's a great friend and we're that, that 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 being said, Muhammad is someone who we would like to go tour around with. And the reason I bring him up is because his families and associates, when when we say Egypt is mostly underground, what is lost on a lot of people, and it really made a huge impact on me. I was aware of it, like the Great Labyrinth and a number of things are underground in Egypt. Uh-huh. But you know, what's what's more interesting, as we said, is the lower you go in Egypt, the more advanced, like the Osirion and the Serapium, there they have these like millions of an inch. Boxes uh, flat for uh, what? There's no way they weren't machined. This wasn't about abrasive copper on diorite or andesite or quartzites. These are way too hard stones for the finish levels and the corners and everything Christopher done. And you know those are the big popular points to point out as to how the corners were done and how how brilliantly made. And some some of it's down to a billionth of an inch and. All of that said, and there's epoxy finishes that no material scientist, no material scientist has ever been brought in. But at the same time, what's been sorely missing is that there is other information about what's underground in Egypt and what Muhammad was pointing out was that Jared, there are miles, miles and miles and miles of tunnels that are not just, you know, we're not talking dynastic Egyptians built them. They're they're made out of large. Polished, well-made blocks that are clearly blocks that have been done by a prior culture that built the Osirian or uh, the Serapium. These are very complex structures, and they are they many of them are unexplored, and that's you know a shift for me. When I was learning, I thought, oh yeah, there's lots of sand dunes, so you know they got to clear the sand dunes, and now we have nuclear not just DNA, but sedimentary testing on... on a, uh, that means granules that hold the remnants of animals, flora, fauna, ancient origins. Uh, just did a story about Doggerland, which is from Scotland to France was one land. And that was above water even to 6,000 years ago, a significant portion. And 8,000 years ago, it was pretty much almost all there. And they are now going in salt water, retrieving granules and are able to tell us what kind of flora and fauna were above water. And that's the big pictures that everyone's missing. Eric Von Danigan comes out, blew my mind, blew everyone's mind with, mm-hmm. well, wait, maybe this arc is a lost piece of technology. And then, well, let's look at all of it and then it's easy the hubris of it it's like well yeah i mean if we've linearly come from rock banging cavemen to now and we're the most advanced then clearly somebody came along and thought it would be really funny to leave some advanced stuff for us to scratch our heads at Mm -hmm. i mean clearly it's not a more advanced human race that was almost forgotten and then uh you know dynastically taken over and adapted and mimicked and repaired and mutated into what it was and then now with what we're really seeing with all the alternative research is going on and what made a huge impact for me when I wrote my book and my very first interview ever was coast to coast. That was back in February. I've been back on again just recently and, and I've been on Richard Serrett's show uh, a few times. I really love Richard and I've, I, it's been great to um, co-host a number of shows now and be able to really keep educating and and do live events now, now that I was able to just go to America's you know, Stonehenge with um, Dennis Stone. It's been, that part's all been great and trying to get out live lectures you're going to see more and more of this. I mean, you're, I really appreciate you having me on because this is like the front of trying to get people's heads around the idea that starting with the soil, it's called terra preta. It's, it's an ancient engineered soil. And The first thing we think is, oh, it's for growing food. And yes, it is the richest growing soil by a hundred times at a minimum, Soil scientists have looked at it for over 100 years. And and in the modern term, it's called biochar. So you burn a particular kind of wood. And you and I, if we were going to start an apple orchard, we would use a particular kind of biochar. And that's just one element, though. And that's just for growing food. And they found an area in Brazil. And this is what set my book off, which was I was going to write a fictional book about the elongated skull Paracus in Peru. And day three of my research I'm hearing about this terra preta and that, oh, isn't it interesting? Uh, there, It's the richest growing soil. It self-replicates. It has piezoelectric properties. It filters carbon dioxide for all you out there who want to save the planet. And it filters heavy metals. And then it hit me that just like those Guatemalan LIDAR scans, that mm-hmm. it's it's likely that we are at a very sub-stablet. Uh, Like right now at 8 billion people, we are way under what this planet probably used to hold. And it's not because we grew um, soil for growing. Uh, It has these other properties. If you connect those metal plated, uh, those keystone cuts with polygonal construction that are in the ground, that are connected to piezoelectric, that means wave and frequency sending soil that also is good for earthquake protection then you're talking about an inter like the nazca lines and not the big monkeys and pictures pictographs i'm talking about the straight lines that okay. eric von Danigen brought to light to everyone it's like why are there what looks like giant computer grids all over not just there but bolivia mm-hmm. jordan there's other places around the world where there's these in-ground lines and it means that we're looking at a planet that might be much more what we're identifying as natural to be more uh, engineered and not because we, we identify a machine as an external device, you know, something mm-hmm. like that, you know, and it's not true. We we might want to consider that what we're looking at as natural biology is really an organized bio system that could be, could have been much more intentional, but now the system's broken. Uh, whether it was Mount, uh, you know, whether it was our super volcano, Toba going off 75,000 years ago, which then we have a a, a blending of, specifically, we know this in standard uh, academia, there's a blending of Denisovan, Neanderthal, a mystery 14% human that, well, maybe it's that paracus or those elongated skull people that have different suture lines that are right. actually not they're not pressed into that, they're actually born that way and they have different cranial capacity and they have different arterial dissections into the head uh, for a magnum. Perhaps we should actually have a, a you know, a burn the last of the house of the cards and we do the genetic testing. We need to really tell ourselves a truer story because nuclear DNA testing, sedimentary research, nano archeology, and even archeological genome archeology span where they're literally digging into the human genome and saying, you know, just recently, there was just an article out that just said, hey, if we turn these two switches on, it looks like these genome archeologists identified the switch that if you pull it, it, it tells the immune system that cancer is something bad and you it should kill it but cancer figured out a switch how to turn that part of our genome off but these genome archaeologists just published on it they figured it out this could be coming as a new cancer therapy as you know that it was published just a week ago but the therapy maybe they've been working on it for months or years but either way here we are we the shift is we've gone in 44 years of chariots of the gods and it could be ancient aliens to uh, this is really sickening, but it appears that underwater, whether it's doggerland land or not the desert Sahara that it is today, but even 6,000 years ago was the Sphinx, the, the Great Pyramid, everything we see, was it really part of a greater connected world that is now underwater and that our, just our view of the planetary map in our minds is not what we see. And we have to accept that with, you know, one of the first things I point out in my book is a city off the coast of Cuba. It's 2,300 feet deep in the water. It was found by a team looking for Spanish galleons gold. And there is no way there's some theories as to how it could be sooner, but at a minimum 50 or 60,000 years ago, there's a city off the coast of Cuba that goes from on the surface to 2,300 feet deep in the water. And then you have the RICOT structure in uh, the Sahara, and and that goes up a few thousand feet. You have Lake Titicaca uh, at twelve thousand six hundred feet, give or take twelve thousand four hundred, with seahorses and salt water. And so, could there be one of the theories is hydrostatic that there's water under the tectonic plates, which are theoretical, but that that maybe the plates. Spontaneously, some went this way, some went that way. And no matter what, we're looking at a map of the world that doesn't represent Doggerland and the hills and valleys and mountains and the places that would have contained this advanced society. And to this day, you and I can talk about the Sengali tribes. We can talk about this, there. I mean, whether it's Africa or the jungles of South America or Central America, the Tarumara, uh, the running tribes. I mean, there, there, there are Tribes all over the world, and we think there's about 150. And if we all disappeared tomorrow, there would be eolus neoless, there would be things that we could find in the future if we were archaeologists and say, Oh, they were really primitive in 2022. If you didn't find a laptop that got ground up and used as right. pointy objects, or you know, we're if we're if we're talking about a society, and the reason I bring up the volcanic eruption is that we fast forward to the younger dry. So everyone's accepting now that there's a lot of scientific research on it. A lot of papers written on it that between 11 ish and, and the number has been nailed down to like 11, 12, 12, 11, 6, 12, 12, 6, 11 and 11 to 13,000 years ago, there was some catastrophic event or a series of them. But what we don't account is that from that event to Mount Toba, Mm-hmm. Going off in uh, Micronesia, in Indon, you know, basically Southern Asia, you have this catastrophic, basically nuclear global winter that saw, according to the snapshot we have in the human genome, two, one to, ten, twelve thousand breeding pairs of humans left, based on what we know of genetic evidence. But we're not talking about nuclear DNA yet. This mm. is a hot new topic that i mean we're talking the max planck institute of anthropology you know we're talking quantum spintronics quantum theorist stuff uh max planck uh, institute for them to start publishing on all the results from neanderthal denisian human genome studies uh flora and fauna this nuclear not just dna but nuclear sedimentary analysis is literally a game changer we are going to fast forward quickly where. The dumb, obvious stuff is, as I'm writing my book, you know, the Guatemalan LIDAR scans from just two years ago? Mm-hmm. You remember those with the... Yeah, uh, I remember those. Yeah.
0: I remember all that, yeah.
1: Yeah, everybody's like, hey, 60,000 structures we didn't notice in a 800-mile yeah. square area of a 5,000 rectangular-shaped... Sh- I mean, they're still scanning it. And, mm-hmm. and mum's the word on everything else since then. I, have you seen anything from that in the last year and a half? No. Neither have I. Since it came out. And, yeah, nothing. Right, right. So they do 60,000 structures. And the archaeologists involved uh, said we've grossly, they, they said we could safely assume there was maybe 15 million people here And that's them conservatively making a statement to the National Geographic, which is not part of generally the solution overall, or hasn't been, but then was, but isn't, and then it is. And, you know, there's an ebb and flow. We could have a whole show about the history of the National (laughs) Geographic, but you have 60,000 structures, super highways, and they're just in Guatemala, which is a really small country. And they're saying that we need to reevaluate the populations in this area to 15 to 20 million and again, this is not the Clovis people. This is not a land bridge in the last 12,000 years. We're talking about a population that, again, dynastically took over megalithic structures. When you go to Teotihuacan or, you know, the large pyramid cities that you can go visit in Mexico, there's it's the same thing you see in Egypt where or, or at Machu Picchu. You'll see these large megalithic blocks. And then on top, you'll see a river rock. Like, who builds like that? No, right. nobody does that you know it would be like half your california haunt sign behind you being crocheted from the bottom down like or up
0: that's crazy yeah just
1: that and, and so then it you you the lunatic so one of the things that didn't set well with me so backing up for everyone is you have this archaeology saying okay well we should stop just digging up statues and cool stuff to put in museums and people's homes we should start figuring out our history well, they come up with some theories that become doctrine. And and, and Michael Cremo said it best. If the facts don't fit the theories, we'll throw out the facts. Mm-hmm. And I've heard sad stories about that over and over and over. And so we end up with this very twisted paradigm of what our history is supposed to be. Yet none of it fits it. And then now if we start looking at the sciences, the math, the Something no one was talking about Barely anyone's, well pretty much no one's Talking about engineered soil, it's not Sexy, soil's not sexy That's the problem
0: That's interesting, and like you say You know, this this whole time I've been thinking about You know, when you said that they had to have Machine, you know, machine machine Quality stuff that they're finding, you know The stones and everything, and like you just said A few minutes ago about the laptops You know, history, I mean These are all plastic crap they're making now With these laptops, I mean there's not going to be anything left so there's not no in thirty thousand
1: years yeah, ten thousand years
0: gonna, yeah, there's not going to be any proof that we are, that this society is this advanced. so when you think about you know you, the question comes up where how, how, how did they build all that where's the machinery? It's probably it's probably the same thing. it's gone. I mean there's there's no way to find the machinery right. that, uh,
1: well, and then the, it's it's people hyper focus on the large blocks, okay, they're large blocks, but mm-hmm. the shape of the blocks are important. The shape of the blocks. Even standard academia went, oh, it, based on these shapes, it appears that this wall, this, this wall is going to move and twist with an earthquake. Uh, that's very important because you have to decide in the ground and how many kilometers down and how many kilometers away yeah. is the earthquake that's going to affect your particular structure. And the thing that's missing from all these structures, excuse me, is... All the wood and all the finished materials. If you can cut and shape the hardest stones on earth, right? Yet they that yet every single time you see a paleoanthropological finish of a construction in a natural history museum, how do you finish a polygonal wall other than with a thatched roof? That's how you finish mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Every time it's got a you know how to like cut eight-sided Eight ton, hundred ton, eight hundred ton Saxe woman, You know, you look at you look at these constructions, and then when they got done, they're like, Well, let's just throw, let's roll a log on top of it. We're we don't we don't possibly know how to move a 380-foot a sequoia or redwood that's 60 feet in diameter. We have no idea how to work with that. And that's not a true statement, but those materials would be gone. The finished materials, like at a home. I try to deconstruct for people as a as a design build contractor right and particularly in my last lecture that I did for America's Stonehenge you should watch it because the I try to show people modern construction sites where a lot of they're they're popping up faster than you can shake a stick they're popping up so many loft apartment buildings around the twin cities that the first floors in the commercial space are all concrete but they have pillars that are very similar to what you'd see at Stonehenge. They're lentil. They are the only things that are stone. And they're the only things that would be left after the 10, literally eight to 10 stories of wood construction would be what burned, molded, rotted, repurposed, along with everything that made up the siding or windows, all of that would be gone. And you'd go from a 10-story building down to just 20 feet of stone. And if you were building a giant henge 10, 20, 30, 50, 80,000 years later with the remnants of what was left, Mm -hmm. you would venerate it. You would mystify it. You would deify it. And before you know it, in a 1,000 years, when you're doing yoga at Chernobyl, you'd think it was really neat if you celebrate the summer equinox, but you're still on Chernobyl it's still not sacred but if you apply the word you blur the lines and before you know it you got people talking about portals and fairies and whatever and what have you and that's fine but it's blurring the line it's not the temple of the moon it's the eight-sided energy complex for this half of the planet which interconnected with this engineered soil with interconnected with this in in ground global antenna array which is called the Nazca line here and the Jordan Nazca line there and apparently when you're 100% conscious you might be able to connect through an electron discharge not just because running barefoot's cool for you for the Tarumara and Born to Run and Christopher Dougal's research on that but maybe connecting to the soil was a thing because your pineal gland really did work. Your third eye was not a theoretical instrument. It was a real instrument and Depending on where you want to go, there's sciences, measurements, there's tapestries, there's text, there are so many echoing remnants of these highest, whether cymatic or the polygonal stones themselves, the ancillary technology, like you said, being gone. But there's just looking at the math involved to understand why you could do the not shaky wall thing, let alone build it, let alone. Again, what would be the remnants of a society tens of thousands of years being gone? You're not gonna you, what we do have left though is the soil. Those other elements are gone. We can postulate, but then what we do have is thank god we finally have nuclear or thank whatever you want to think, but the right. here we are with n- nuclear and sedimentary research, nano research that if we dig down to these foundations and that's where I'm trying to surprise and excite people is when like even in San Fran or, you know, in, on the coast, you have the earthquake issues and I'm in Minnesota, and although we're on a steady plate, we, we technically also should also, but we have basements and those basements have frost lines cause it, it easily can go below 20 below zero. But when you dig an eight foot frost line and you build the foundation of a home, it's, it's barely as wide as most computers that people like barely two feet it's 18 inches and a foot and a half wide for these foundations that are packed uh whether it's mud whether it's clay whether it's uh black dirt sand they are supposed to pre-compact the soil and then they're supposed to put class five gravel, which is a lot like a dirt road. And then you pack that down and it, and it creates a layer and it creates a layer and it creates a layer. And before you know it, you barely have what's really like a couple foot layer of what's supposed to be 90% pre-compacted soil that you then pour or place block on and you build a home that in a hundred or 120 years, or 150 years, I'm remodeling for you, and the floorboards are everywhere and weird and messed up. But how is it that you have allegedly 6,000, 4,000-year-old slash Machu Picchu, (laughs) supposedly only uh, less than 2,000 years old, uh, not moving, uh, not moving at all with no mortar, no nothing, but totally withstanding muting and canceling earthquakes, so what is the foundation that they're sitting on? No one has ever done core samples. And if what we have in the soil around the buildings as I continue to do my work and what I'm writing on now and what I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, we're the first people to be talking about this stuff, really. It's to, to to expand out our ideas and understand that despite whatever whatever soil and debris is built up, that there's a layer under the megalithic constructions themselves and around them at the lowest level and out that may represent um, construction methods, that the very compaction of the buildings that they're sitting on, including stone spheres that are all over the earth, that the science to do that and the machines to even pre-compact the soil, not for the sake of just making the foundation of that one wall steady, but the type of materials um, uh, Jennifer Deo the archaeologist who I'm again co-writing with my next two books and the theory is like well what if they crushed up a particular crystal from a particular field and that crystal only comes from Egypt and that crystal is found in the size it's called seismic meta structures. so anything you use to help keep a building from falling down from an earthquake those are seismic meta structures, and they could be They could be really, really small, nano-sized. They could be really big. They could be rods. Um, They found that most of the Greco-Roman and a lot of the ancient accredited to the Greek uh, amphitheaters and, again, other ancient constructions credited to these dynastic peoples showed signs of seismic metastructure construction that could have only been assigned by a society that could read and measure with instruments those elements and so here we have a soil that isn't just for growing food but it's not just one pair ter- it's not just terra preta or chernozems that are all over siberia to europe to americas it's 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 mixes of material that may be spreading out from ancient megalithic structures that no one on earth has ever done core sampling as you go not only core sampling but looked at what ha- it is the pre-compaction and the layers of the materials holding up those constructions but as you move away and into those constructions how are the most uh the, the original build level layers and all the soils around them how do they relate to the structure and therefore communications frequencies wave technologies This is something that we can look at that no one has yet. And I am, don't care who does it. I'm, I'm working on doing it myself, Mm -hmm. but I want that out there for everyone. It's, it's our history.
0: Sure. I just think this is just, it's just, it's just fascinating because to think that, you know, because the way we've been taught, you know, the, the way we've been conditioned to, to, you know, to believe that, that they couldn't have done this
1: uh right and and when you think about it you're like well that didn't add up and there's like a wave it's like i mean right. you've probably watched i i'm the guy i mean i'm i don't know how if I, you know clearly i'm being visually here if i'm dating myself but i watched in search of growing up so did <laughs> you know I. <laughs> I i watched i watched in search of and i saw you know what's his name land and you know, eyeball earth from a flying saucer and it's hard not to be programmed by, yeah, it's, it's from somewhere else. And then, you know, we were just rock banging morons and, and this makes no sense. And then the problem is that there's, there's just as much um, built in. So the theories uh, get held up as this holy doctrine. And then the problem is that there's a lot of alternative researchers that are doing amazing work. And then simultaneously there's a vernacular being built up about aliens and The problem is uh, the complexity of the human genome and the practice to come full circle about the elongated skull, people in the third eye, and the cymatics. The reality is that if you're dealing with nanotechnology or hard state um, quantum, you know, what we think of as spintronics right now in quantum computing and where we're going with solid state drives, all these large ancient constructions, everyone's like, wow, they're really they're really high in quartz, and they always seem to use basalt, or they use they use andesite, or they, they keep using three stones, including limestone and quartzites. And they and, and I know Ben from Uncharted, I don't know Ben, I'm I'm staying, I'm just stating that Ben from Uncharted X did an interview with not not Muhammad Ibrahim but uh, Yusuf Awan, and they show Yusuf had done that experiment. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it with, uh, with the three different, it looks like those uh, electrical, it looks like one of those ancient electrical towers that's on the uh, relief yes, okay. that looks, yeah. Yes. And and so they're, they're, they're running like 50,000 volts through this stone structure. And you're like, does anyone else want to do some experiments with this? Because there are some brilliant European researchers that I include their research in my book and i can't say enough about there are some open minded gosh the russians are way ahead of us on a lot of this and and i do think that there are a marriage now with the internet where researchers in the east are are getting more of a voice in the west even if they don't speak mm-hmm. the language and vice versa and i think mm-hmm. that's so important because the research is not being shared and it's really uh, unfortunate i think to the uh it, it, it's getting better but it's something where you have the east and the west not marrying even on a like qigong and i i do talk about those kind of abilities and again it's we come at these so what we end up calling etheric esoteric fill in the blank spiritual uh uh medicines or sciences or acupuncture it's all under the capstone of vibrational medicine and I don't mean that in a woo-woo way vibrational medicine's real we are energy beings we are this is just we're just a fact and so it's not about it and it's not about anyone being wrong but jumping to the idea that a tic-tac or that there are aliens the, the problem is yes there's disinformation we could talk forever on conspiracy theories and mm-hmm. conspiracy people who are into conspiracies, which is really a, a horrible thing to say in general because it, it it eliminates a lot of great ideas and a lot of great thinkers. But the, the capstone of conspiracy is that you then discount anything that comes past. But I like to reference Rick and Morty. I'm kind of a Rick and Morty fan. I don't know if you are.
0: Yes, I am.
1: I'm, I just... I just love the episode in the multiverses when his car battery goes out and they have to go into his battery to fix his battery, but he's he's like, look, Morty, we gotta look like aliens. So they give they he gives him antenna. I mean So if you have full control of the human genome, you have hundred percent control of your human brain, you've been terraforming uh down to engineering the soil with cymatic energy machines like eight-sided pyramids with gosh knows what was on the materials to for finishing materials and how Mm -hmm. those operated. Why would it be any hard? We have designer babies right now. You can get a designer baby. You can, that's crazy. There are gene crispers that are now for practically home use. I mean, you literally can get, I'm not kidding folks. You can actually get a gene crisper. You can get a 3d printer And before you know it, you could be your own island, Dr. Moreau doing horrible Frankenstein experiments. And why would it be any more difficult for a society, tens of thousands of years ago, who have these other ancillary technologies, when you piece together, just throw the facts on the table, the technologies in their lifetime would lend to maybe A, why some of the reason they're not here isn't a natural disaster. And that a natural disaster would contribute to a society that may have the ability to regenerate or manage their genome however they wanted. And it may, if we have, as the proof goes, even in the mainstream of a collective human consciousness, why wouldn't this society, if they had to retreat? So super volcanic eruption 75,000 years ago ends a worldwide global population that. Quite a bit of the coastlines of what we see of that world would be now underwater, or part going into terrible digressions. There are rock-cut underground tunnels that Eric Bondan, again Buzz Aldrin, uh, Brian Forrester, today they're from the Andes to Turkey and Europe. There are underground complex tunnel systems from Egypt to the East that are that defy explanation. But they're part of a network, even in America, that show signs of been large either food or emergency store warehouses slash shelters uh, that are clearly for human population to take cover in for, what, days, years. However, that would have been this society after, you know, 75,000 years ago and then pre-younger Dryas may have come out started trying to rebuild at Tiwanaku and some other sites that seem based on Dr. Joseph David Ovitz, the father of geopolymer, and some other recent research that says, hey, some of this is geopolymers. They're ancient concretes. So maybe they came out of hiding. Maybe they started rebuilding. And then the Younger Dryas hits. And then also we have these sightings around the world, like the Nuremberg Battle, that was seen by almost a thousand or more medieval people that was uh, memorialized in a lithograph. It's talked about on ancient aliens. It's, you can Mm -hmm. look it up right away. You can internet search it and they, you clearly, we, When we look at this and go, what if a bunch of various, what would have been a global civilization, but what if it really was more like a cruise ship? You have users of the technology, but not the leaders, not the most uh, benevolent people. You just have a cruise ship, and they are the ones who got to the shelters, they make it. We know that the Denisiaven and Neanderthal and everyone are breeding uh, post-75,000 years and definitely through down to 60,000, 50,000 years ago. They were definitely breeding, surviving. So they come out and dynastic peoples are mimicking and... Uh, uncovering really in a non early, but early archeological way, they're taking over these sites in Egypt and Machu Picchu and they're building their own world up. So these remnant people, they have to rebuild their technology and the society they build can't be the global society. It clearly once was, but mm-hmm. they still exist and they live here. And the reality is, is that that's why the book title was it's not aliens worse. It's us discovering our lost history because isn't it worse to think that our own relatives would be here and, like, yeah, you know, Bill tried to give you guys religion a few thousand years ago, that that didn't work out so good. Well, so screw you, Bill. But you know, we we have the cure to cancer. You know, we've tried to intervene every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't work so good. Or you guys are animals, we've given up on you, or this year we've given up on you, or at least the last hundred years we given up, well, screw it, whatever. So being gray. Uh, For what people identify, this isn't to take away from anyone's personal experiences, but are you seeing an alien or are you seeing a fully body modded human that has full infrared frequency wave direct contact with a ship that does zero point turns at Mach 22 and maybe being our size would pretty much melt you on the wall, but being large, you know, interactive on screen black eyes and or uh connected into a machine that's on an earth grid that's using gravity and and magnetic fields in a way that we are just beginning to comprehend in toroidal uh field research and in the way magnetism really works uh we are looking at them going well they're alien why because they don't look like us how 1950s is that is that is that bad
0: Well, you know, it's like it's like when when you look at um, evolution, if you believe in evolution and how the changes occurred to where we look like we do now. So who's to say, like you say, that those aren't humans? Who's to say that, that, that they're just the ones, you know, we, you know what I'm saying? That they're just the ones yeah, that, that, well, that look like that. That particular that particular thing branched off. It's like it's like the thing with the Sasquatch, you know, that whole theory where where, where that's a branch off or, or whatever you want to call it. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying the, the
1: elongate, well, the elongated skulls, the paracus, right. the the other elongate. those are humans, and yeah. and they have a different suture line. I mean, they're straight up not the same as us, but they are human. Mm-hmm. But we got to do the genetic testing, so right. these. So why would we assume that just because they don't in the theory of evolution, the idea is, okay, well, you know, we just kind of, we turn into different races. Really? That's always bugged me. Like maybe they specialized that we know there were little people. We do know that there were giants, Mm -hmm. but are we really just talking about a society that could change their height, shape, and size, depending on their function. Is is a race uh, today as we see it a result of just a natural mutation of heat and cold and isolation? Or is it more of a, a, a in a very small, I mean, I know we, I know in the course of a, even two or three generations, we can change the human genome quite spectacularly, but what could we do with a technology that could, um, you know, basically allow you like Ray Kurzweil describes in the singularity is near, change your genome to suit your field of interest and your specialty in reference to the technologies you interact with Mm -hmm. and think biological technology. So there there are a number of clues and pieces that we can talk about on that. Synesthesia's are a big one for me. The abilities that that mix all five senses. Uh, the Greeks knew of it. Carl Jung. I mean, we've been looking at that for well over a hundred years scientifically. The way we know of it. And these abilities include, um, you know, numbers and colors and smells and dimensional synesthesia's. Where if you, if I was to say to you ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four. You would literally see the 10 furthest away and you would perceive a one and you would be projecting it in real space. And some have described having canvases in front of them where it looks like fireworks and and and, and what they're seeing doesn't even stay on the canvas. And I just imagine the construction methodology of a 95% awake human being who's listening to their favorite music projecting from the music instead of a blueprint that we primitively work off of walking up with a tool to what is an uh what is now a 1000 ton raw block and being able to cut for 16 feet wide 14 feet long or in the case of Balbec, lebanon or the or the or the uh um solomon's temple you know 40 feet long they're they're able to carve every surface of that block strictly because as they look at it they see colors that need to be removed and the colors are being projected because of what they're perceiving from what is their music but what in reality is a blueprint for that one block the 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 technology integration biologically would be very different than the way we perceive technology now. And when we start, again, tabling the facts of our personal abilities along with um, what we know about our fossil record, not, not what's there in the big picture, but little details about, again, as the soil is the black earth you're churning over, uh, natural it's like oh it's just compost it's just dead dinosaurs it's dead buffalo it's uh you know a lot of my bananas in my compost pile for the last 10 years you know we don't look at soil and say you know this this has a self um, perpetuating uh, consistency of the rainforest Terra Preta and it's and it's in Minnesota and it's uh and it wasn't and it was placed here and, and if it wasn't the black earth, what about some of these sands are we again in the once we start doing more sedimentary research you know can you imagine a group of archaeologists where one's working in a square kilometer and they're they're literally putting all the sand they find down to bedrock into a processor which you know eventually it's as we go quantum computing which just allows us to process faster we're going to need that for nano archaeology but Uh an archaeologist 200 miles away could be sifting through their pile And you, just as an example of a windshield, you might come up with, oh, that's funny. Well, at this layer, we found a windshield and we got half of it. But somebody studying ancient archaeo wind patterns and weather patterns, and then you got another archaeological team that says, this is weird. We have another half of a windshield, but because they're connected, because we're having a global share and communication of this. Uh, life experience, and we're not isolating our finds for some hubristic purpose. We're actually connecting the data, and not and and outside of peer review. They can say, "Well, look, I have your half of your uh, windshield, but it's in this layer, and you have my half of it, but it's in that layer, and and the interdisciplinaries, which include weather research, tr- uh, catastrophic research, uh, rain." Water erosion of every kind. There's a million things that could be said that tells a new and more complex story that may To finally come back to not hurting anthropologists anymore may give anthropologists an actual better Reason to start implying that not everything's a fertility goddess, but they might actually be able to start looking at a society when although they may not know the story of that individual life but instead of saying everything's sacred in a temple and everybody cared about the equinoxes uh there were some people who did that for a period of time but for a while that may have just been a very well placed uh energy frequency machine but on that note they may be able to tell a better story of, hey, it looks like this flora and fauna and these 120 animals found in this cave, like this article about this Neanderthal DNA. Uh-huh. Uh, well, these they were hunting those animals, or they were they they were preferred livestock. They the, the the all I feel like all the interdisciplinary sciences will have a hand in this, where they can stop worrying about whether or not they were right for the last hundred years, which is so frustrating because, like you said, we've we we've been stuck with this.
0: That's my question. Just, I don't, well, it's not to interrupt, but that's the question I have for you. When you take the stuff that, that 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 you're putting together and and you present it to the scientific community, what 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 kind of reaction do you get?
1: You know, it's great. I've been able to talk to um, so there's archaeologists like Jennifer Dale, who, uh-huh. well, she's co-authoring more books with me now because well, she's really cool <laughs> and she's open-minded, um, but there are people who are armchair uh peer reviewing there is a there is a crowd that they you scratch my back i scratch yours and now it is in the holy Um uh, uh i like carl Airbergers. Uh, he calls them archaeopriests, priests and you know they have their bishops and they have their pope and they have a system where you know you don't present i mean the clovis first mile the idea that i mean you have way at Laco, you have humans that have been here for hundreds of thousands of years in this North American area and down to South America, it's a joke, even early archeologists like the father of South American archeology, I write about him, Max Uli. You have a clear indication that even at the turn of the century, there was a group of archeologists and anthropologists that said, uh, we think, we think maybe humanity could have come from South America. And the popular theory is out of Africa, garden of Eden, you can marry Christianity with, The scientific community that doesn't believe in anything allegedly right so you have a good marriage if you can say out of africa well that doesn't offend the adam and eve story and that's the truth of it that's the big elephant in the room is that you have a story that that it may not even marry but they live well together they can coincide so the answer to the question is there are disinformation people out there. There's the straw, my favorites are like the straw man arguments. I've heard them used on a lot of other researchers. So instead of going at the information, the first thing they do is they say, well, what's your credentials? And it's like, what does that have to do with the facts? And what does that have to do with true or the great adventurers that went out and analyzed uh, what they, what, even though Flinders Petrie had degrees, it's like, what business did he have measuring or like the interdisciplinary work that any adventurer chooses to go out and do, it's there for mm-hmm. the taking. And no one said, well, how are you qualified to go to Antarctica and go put your flag on the pole? It's just, it's there. there's these straw man arguments where they attack you personally and not the facts. Or they'll simply say, I mean, there are sheep out there. I'm sorry, there's no other explanation. They are sheep. For you to say, well, I'm not going to review your observation because it hasn't been peer-reviewed. I'll only look at something if it's been peer reviewed. Well, then what do you do every day when you're at an archaeological site? Let me see. Oh, miss 60,000 structures in the middle of Guatemala. That's what you do. And sum up all of Central and South American population for the last 100 years in a theory that said maybe 2 to 4 million people, maybe 6, built all of North and South America since the Younger Dryas after the land bridge. That's the theories you get when you deal with some of these uh, standard academics. And, and I wish there was a quick way... To, you know, we we really are, I consider our history part of our future and reactivating these superhuman abilities, whether it's Steak Sevenson or Wim Hof, or these other abilities that you and I and all of us have, that that part of that's part of it. And then there's our spiritual growth, there's our our meditative growth, which is also part of the Wim Hof thing, but it's you know, reconnecting each other, connect, connecting to that collective human consciousness, valuing all human life because they're all part of that collective consciousness and they contribute to what I think is a total RAM and downloadability for all humans. So the the scope and breadth and width of what we can analyze as an individual is dependent on what some people in a gray state might say, well, we need to reduce the human population. It's like, well, we've been discovering three to 5,000 new species from bacteria to bats and fish and birds and and you name it we've been discovering creatures not to mention the ones that we thought were extinct that aren't Mm -hmm. but we've been discovering about that many items per year for over 44 years so to even assume we know what's on the planet let alone the 70 percent of it that we've not explored and the consistent amount of what we're calling ufos flying around with impunity at speeds and technology that seem very similar to our very ancient constructions, we have a very silly look at who we think we know we are. And I am willing to talk, but but like I said, this is a search and rescue, not a search and recovery is where I'm going. And Mm -hmm. so if you and I are paramedics and some idiot wants to show up from the standard academic world and say, well, I refuse to accept or look at this injured party that's laying here because, well, no one else in my community has determined that they're injured or even stated that they're injured is one way to look at it. Meanwhile, it's like, no, no, we're right in front of our, our history and it's damaged and there's something broken. And here's the facts that are laying at the crime scene and we're going to like get down and start doing triage on it. And if there's a group of people that want to stand there off to the side and say, or just keep walking and say there's no problem and there's nothing to see here, fine, keep walking. I don't, I don't have time. We can't, we cannot wait for the people who are not on board to catch up or the people who are embarrassed. Um, I like, i I've, I've, I've had the great opportunity to speak with Jim Willis. Uh, we co hosted the Saturday conference after we did the Forbidden Knowledge News conference together just a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. He and I was the keynote on Friday. Did you watch that at all?
0: No, I didn't get a chance. I was working.
1: Oh man, it was cool. It's recording. Forbidden Knowledge News still has it up on their Rockfin channel. I have a Rockfin channel too, but they, um, I think they have it in the member area, but uh, I did the keynote, but then on Saturday, 14 time author Jim Willis, who used to be a seminary slash minister, you know, he's written 14 books and he's all on the quantum consciousness and the, uh, ancient histories. And it's so interesting where he is. And he's like his explanations for where humanity is, uh, as far as accepting the facts of what we're finding it, it versus these academics that what he was discussing was, They feel, and this is from his personal experience, it's like, I've been teaching, like, I know what the fact is, but I've been teaching the wrong thing now for 30 years, and I feel really bad about it. They've admitted it privately, where they know they've graded people on something that is completely not true, not because they knew it all along, but when they find it out, it's really hard to admit those mistakes i mean we can be very empathetic to it but if we were at if we were paramedics at an emergency scene we don't have time to worry about your feelings you know we need to like do we need to worry about the broken bone or do we need to worry about internal injuries do we need to worry about brain bleed do we need to re are they like literally bleeding out as we speak you know there's a way to assess a situation that's an emergency And those that want to stand around and debate or put through the ostrich plan or worry about how cool they look, we can't slow down for that. So part of it is building teams and people around me. I've been very fortunate to meet Scott Walter. He doesn't live far or, you know, he's a a Minnesotan. And having a forensic geologist that can do research, having labs, working with archaeologists like Jennifer Deo that are, are absolutely brilliant but they're 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 able to go out with me and we're able to plan field work we're able to plan digs we're able to work with private owners like dennis stone at America's stonehenge and plan real expeditions so on one hand there's let's bring this news to everyone and everyone has a genetic memory everyone has a personal experience everyone is watching these shows because Everyone wants to know not just where they're from, and they're not waiting to be told. Everyone has input and feelings on it. And I I want to encourage everyone, and including researchers, including myself, we all have to be ready to be wrong. Archaeologists need to be paid to be wrong. They need to be able to go out and find what they find. And if it doesn't fit the the theories, the facts have to not be thrown out. And if they don't find anything, they, need, they there is more than enough money for academic institutions to fully fund every archaeologist that is out there, and 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 that sounds odd, but I'm telling you, if if we just take that Guatemalan lidar scan area and say, you know, your entire academic life is going to be the the square kilometer, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to do your general studies, but you know, can you imagine satellite campuses for fill in the blank school instead of like like a subway franchise, and and that might just be like nails on a chalkboard for these colleges. But I want to not make standard academia out to just be a giant group of bad guys that are idiots and morons, even though it's kind of looking like that in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it's can you imagine not having a school with a hundred thousand people in it, but having a school where there is active multidisciplinary material sciences, physics, uh uh geology, forensic geology, astrophysics, and again, archaeo—you know archaeological astronomy, nanoarchaeology, all nanotechnology, spintronics, all of it could be applied. And you could be having satellite campuses all over the world at these archaeological sites that would need every layer of municipality. We could redefined employment and education in a way where the size and breadth and scope of uh, schools could be beyond their wildest dreams if they weren't so worried about looking like they're wrong and that mm. is problematic right now
0: That is hey i want to thank you this was fantastic thank you so much for coming on
1: yeah i i hope we didn't burn too far past our <laughs>
0: No, no. I mean that's fine. I don't mind going I don't mind going over. I really don't. Especially when I'm talking to someone like you. This just is my the whole thing is mind-blowing. You know, I'm I'm wrapping my mind around all this. This is just fascinating. I would like to bring you on again if you'd like to come on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, let's do this uh let's 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 schedule something after we say goodbye to everybody and okay. I would I would very much like to chat with you again.
0: Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much. And we'll, Tell everybody
1: your website so they can go check out everything. Yeah, it's www, uh, of course www.notaliens.com. And, and it, by the way, folks, it doesn't mean there's not aliens. It's just an easy site to get to. If you type in not aliens, you can remember uh-huh. that. I am also, I have a member area. It's really cheap. It's about 2 dollars a month, give or take. But I also have a Rockfin channel. And I co-host, you know, I co-host on a few shows, including Cosmic Salon, Everything Imaginable, Dark Hour Paranormal. I guest on uh, some shows, but I also, of course, have my own show at NotAliens.com. and I'm on YouTube at Not Aliens.
0: Sounds good. Thank you, Jared. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you.
0: Absolutely fascinating. Have a good night. Okay, guys, that was absolutely fascinating. I mean, that stuff just fascinates the living dickens out of me and uh, I, I hope you were you know really interested in listening and hearing it too Monday we're shifting gears again I'm gonna try I'm gonna be in the other studio but we're shifting gears a bit I'm putting on my my journalism hat and uh, I don't know about you but sometimes I'm a royal watcher Love to love to follow the royals and uh, there's a woman who has written three books on the life of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert and she is going to be joining us on Monday to talk to talk about Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. So if you guys are interested in, in things like that, come on over and join us. In the meantime, you guys have a good weekend, and visit us at www.californiahauntsradio.com. And I will see you on the weekend. I mean, I will see you on Monday. I'm thinking the weekend already. Have a good one.